0: Welcome to the new author Masters podcast, coming to you straight out of Whitechapel. My name is Kash Akhtar. My name is Peter Bates. Uh, Peter and I are the course directors for an, A Distance, all IE Online Masters in Orthopaedic Trauma Science at Queen Mary University of London, QMUL. All the episodes will be based on the content and tutorials of our QMUL Masters programme. And if you like this and you want more of this and you want to come and study with us, no matter where or when you are in the world, then please find us on Twitter at OrthoMasters and I'll put a link to things below. Today we are here to talk about pelvic fractures. Pelvic fractures. Imagine I'm a pelvic fractures. Will you wake me up when it's done? <laughs> uh, so pelvic fractures, which is obviously that's what you that's your bread and butter that is my bread and butter yeah right yeah um your raison d'etre it is to be fair
1: the the, what we're talking about today which is the early management of uh, pelvic fractures in the emergency department that is less of my thing and it's more of an emergency department uh uh shizzle but nonetheless we do get involved in that you can't
0: say shizzle we said we're not swearing on the podcast is that shizzle yeah you can't say that what is shizzle what (laughs) shit (laughs) is there shit is it yeah oh okay Um, It's it's a joke. You you ruined it now. I find the best jokes the ones when that you have to explain. (laughs) Um, You mofo. So why is it that pelvic fractures carry this kind of mystique that other orthopedic injuries don't? And the one thing that that's interesting about them is they have a mystique for all of emergency care. Emergency medicine, anesthetics. It's not just orthopods.
1: Yes, it's it's true. I, I'm I'm not quite sure why it is. I, I guess it's that the, the anatomy is a little bit complex. Is this massive bone that's like right in the middle of you, uh, which has got quite complicated anatomy? So the three there's the 3D bit, which people find a bit a bit baffling. Um, but I, I guess it's just because you can get potentially life threatening bleeding from your from inside your pelvis and. Uh, and in the bleeding situation, so it, bleeding in, 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 in your belly is one thing because you can do a laparotomy and it's right there in front of you. Yeah. Bleeding in your pelvis is a bit more nuanced. And it's a bit of a team game, isn't it? It's definitely a team game. It, 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 in order to treat bleeding in the pelvis effectively, it really requires a whole team to manage it and a team that's working well together.
0: So just to keep you guys um, on the hook, we are going to talk about packing, binders, Rotem, a whole bunch of stuff. Before that... We are going to talk about the initial space where they come in and there's a trauma team. Yep. And the trauma team is vital, isn't it, Pete? The trauma team is vital and, and, and it has to click well but that is difficult because often,
1: in particularly in level one trauma centres, you have a lot of transient workers coming through—people who are, you know, they, they come for six months and then they leave. Uh, mm. But during that six months, they are intimate parts of the, the trauma team, for and sure. then they're gone. The new people come in, and so you have to have some kind of way of preserving institutional knowledge and keeping uh, a, a high performance going on. Um, and of course, at, at the at the very base of that is your protocols. I I remember we you and I did a podcast some time ago and I put a lot of emphasis on protocols.
0: This is right back at the beginning of the Author Hub see when doing podcast.
1: Exactly. And I I said, you know, protocols are absolutely key. And of course they are so that so that People who are new starters, or who are rotating into trauma, or or just haven't done haven't done trauma anaesthetics in you know in a, in a few a few months and just a little bit uh, hazy on it, they can pick up the protocol, read it before they go go on call, and they're 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 more up to date than they were. So a, a protocol is great, a trauma protocol or a code red protocol, call it what you like, is great for sort of setting your floor, setting your lowest um, minimum acceptable performance, um, your lowest standard, but it doesn't. You know, knowing the knowing the, the 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 rules of football doesn't make you a great team. Uh, you know, there's 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 much much more to good teamwork than just everyone seeing to the same hymn sheet true effective teamwork is much more nuanced so you need um uh i mean a lot hangs on the on the trauma on the team leader
0: and so the team trauma team leader is key aren't they in this absolutely
1: situation? key so so the team leader it really is key and uh they are uh, there are lots of courses they can go on but actually what makes a good team leader a lot of it is just experience having mm. done it many many times and being familiar with it not getting scared not being overawed by people not letting people uh as uh, people's personalities come in the way of good patient care, uh, sometimes when people get stressed, um, that can affect uh, the way they interact with their colleagues, and and, and that can directly uh, influence the patient care. Yeah. So, a, a good team leader is is uh, is good a good people person. They also know uh, they've they, they've seen this many many times before. They've seen uh, different behaviours, and they yeah. they're able to. Conduct, manage, them. manage them and conduct the orchestra in a calm, uh, logical way. And
0: the one thing is that the, the additional thing that they will often have is, as well as knowing the institutional, they'll know the geography. Exactly. I know the locale because that's often relevant, isn't it? Totally relevant. Like, How do you, how do you get blood here?
1: Where's the blood fridge? Uh, you know, knowing the number to, for the porters, knowing that it takes this length of time to get from A to B, knowing that uh, if we're going to interventional radiology, then we need the following, following things to be put in place beforehand. Knowing the, the yes, the, 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 the local politics and yeah. local geographies. And, and
0: even key. just knowing a little bit of the area. I mean, they'll have an idea of where things are geographically in location. Yep. Something's happened in a certain place. next. Yeah. You know, if there's been a fight in Shoreditch, they'll know to treat that very differently to a stabbing in uh, Barking. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> right?
1: but it's a bit more than that as well. So yeah. yes, the team team lead a lot hangs on them, but also the individual players uh, knowing each other. So the senior decision makers, as the surgeons um, uh, and the ED people, have a working relationship whereby they come to trust each other over time. So you know how often in a situation. Uh, uh, when a certain person walks into a room, everybody relaxes because they know that once that person's there, everything's going to be fine. I like to have
0: that effect on people,
1: <laughs> and uh, it's it's. I mean, it's great. To, it's great if, if you can be that person, but that person doesn't arise out of nothing. They 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 grew to be that person. They didn't start off that way, and so. And a lot of that comes out of trust and of people working together on a regular basis. And so and people become familiar with each other. You know, they go to the pub after work together. Uh, People, you know, become, uh, you know, you find out about each other's kids and stuff. It's uh, working relationships are key to a good team.
0: And you know what they say about pressure? Pressure? Pressure. Tell me about pressure. It makes diamonds. <laughs> yes it does
1: yeah uh, the other things you need for a good a good a good team are a good governance structure so that's audit mortality mobility re- uh, meetings hot debriefs that's not like taking your trousers off that's um it uh, yeah, that certainly helps the teamwork <laughs> yeah. hot debriefs are like when you know if, if something doesn't go or something does go well you do it you do a trauma call and it goes really really well or really really badly or something really goes wrong calling the team back together again later on, just saying, right, okay. On the uh, same day. On the same day, or maybe the day after, and just saying, so, while it's fresh in your mind, uh, what could we have done differently? Uh, uh, An AAR, after-action review, is is very very similar to that. Um, Away days, research, running trials, all these things help with the teamwork. Simulation's also key. So, uh, there's a lot to a trauma team uh, that can uh, allow the core elements to be excellent, and then that means the transient people who come in, they're merely being baked in or like joining mm. an already very high functioning team. And that, I guess, is Valhalla.
0: So we do discuss um, this quite a bit in module one of the masters where we're talking about trauma systems, trauma networks of care. Yes. Um, but let's move on to the real stuff. OK. So a patient comes in with a suspected severe pelvic injury and they're hemodynamically unstable. Classic scenario. See it a lot. What's the first thing we need to be thinking about after airway and breathing? Don't say see. (laughs) <laughs>
1: well it is c but it's it's c a b c so even before a and b any catastrophic external source of bleeding needs to have pressure applied and that can be the pelvis so you can have groin bleeding where it's just like coming out from either a venous or an arterial source and that needs pressure on it and again that's something that's that's, that's happening usually happening pre-hospital anyway uh but of course you've got the, the usual things vascular access getting your monitoring on uh, applying oxygen
0: the core atls elements but 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 the- but then after that, there are there are really five things that need to be urgently addressed, right? To turn off the tap, turn off the tap in a in in the pelvic setting. Yes. yes. What are those five?
1: So your five things are number one, a binder, getting your pelvic binder on. It sits over the grey rectans at, at that level, um, and we'll talk about how, how that works in a in in a minute. So number one is your binder. Number two is tranexamic acid. Um, tranexamic acid is proven beyond doubt to mm. work to save lives uh,
0: in the acute trauma setting. Uh, and and as our colleague Karim Brohi has eloquently shown us, tranexamic acid is ev- evidence proven, as we know, from the crash trials.
1: Yeah, Exactly right. Um, and and crash three, it was crash two that proved it was life, th- life saving. Crash three shows that it's also safe to give in head injuries. Um, uh, and that's number two. Number three is getting your major uh, transfusion. Is there crash four? Uh, not to my knowledge. I'm going to register that now. <laughs>
0: Just cover <scupper> them.
1: <laughs> Uh, getting number, your major number three, number three major tra- uh, transfusion protocols. So this is where you're giving uh the the, the, the colloquial thing is pack A and pack B, uh, where you're giving blood products. So you're trying to replace like with like. Now pack A and pack B are not identical, and we can talk about that in a minute. But a massive transfusion protocol is a way of avoiding giving people large volumes of saline to restore their blood pressure. Number four. Uh, get, keeping the patient warm part of that is just warming blankets but part of it of course is giving them warmed fluids so that that, that massive transfusion protocol gets, gets given through a level one infuser or a belmont which is pushing these fluids in warmed and at a rate that is keeping your blood pressure This belmont steady. things
0: just seems like a m- magical mystical box that seems to do a lot of things yeah but it's really just a
1: bucket it's just a bucket <laughs> okay. attached to a pump and a warming circuit yeah so the the, the, the blood kind of does like a the the plastic tube does a like a zigzag yeah. for for multiple so you multiple legs. Pour everything in. You just pour it. Pour stuff in the bucket at the top.
0: Like making pims. You don't uh, you
1: don't literally pour it. You yeah. will put the bags up and it sucks it through. But nonetheless, yes, it's effectively you are pouring stuff into the bucket like a massive cocktail. Yeah. And then it sends it down a zigzag warms tube, it which up. warms it up, yeah. and then it pumps it in. It it. It sounds simple. Actually setting up a Belmont or a Level 1 infuser is not straightforward. You need an ODP or someone around who understands it uh, intimately. So it's not something you just like, plug here, plug here, and off we go. It's it, it's it, not plug and play. It's not plug and I, play.
0: I do really think that um, a Belmont infuser, Level 1 infusers, are one of the best inventions of all time and don't get the credit they deserve. They are a key element to giving a massive transfusion protocol,
1: absolutely. And what the, the other thing that's good about them, about these Level 1 infusers, is they give the trauma team the confidence to go to the CT scanner and back, or go to the interventional radiology suite and back, knowing that they're still bleeding they're actively right. bleeding because there used to be this thing of like oh they're too sick to go to ct yeah not anymore the donut of death it, the donut of death that people would go to ct and die because uh
0: the, the, they were the, disconnected like, yeah, okay,
1: unplug them take yeah. them to ct and like yeah. Brrr, yeah. you know the whole thing f- collapses in between yeah. now you can keep people alive even though they're actively bleeding because the belmont will keep up right and you said there were five things you've given me four Damage control resuscitation is yeah. the is the is the last one, and that used to be called permissive hypotension. It, that people that takes me back. Yeah, it's 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 a it's a term that people don't like using anymore yeah. because it makes it sound like being hypotensive. In other words, keeping your systolic around about ninety to keep your brain alive and your heart and your kidneys are alive, but the rest of you get some growth. Not Yeah, you're, you're neglected. But by, by keeping the blood pressure low, you are um, effectively not blowing off clots. You're protecting clots that are, that are maturing and forming. The downside of that, the downside of, of keeping someone's blood pressure low, is that you're not perfusing their peripheries, or their mm. gut, or their the, the bits that are permissively shut down. Mm and so you will never overcome an acidosis. Mm. So by saying it's permissive, wasn't like say so it's called damage control resuscitation which basically means we're doing this for a limited period. It basically gets you into and out of the scanner, into and out of interventional radiology, uh, keeping your brain and kidneys alive so that uh, uh, but if you keep on doing it endlessly, your acidosis just goes up and up and up because you're not perfusing your peripheries.
0: And let's just remember the goal of this. The number one goal is to keep the patient alive yeah number two is to get them to a destination
1: yeah and the destination is contrast ct that is that is where the the 99.9 percent of trauma calls are headed Mm. and so that the 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 emphasis of the team leader is yes okay we've got a we've got a there are a number of w- steps they've got to get through but ultimately their target is get to the ctasap because that gives you all your answers it gives yeah. you it gives you i mean it also gives you your 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 problems it, it gives you yeah. a, a proper set of problems but it tells you who needs to be in the room how serious this is what uh, what needs doing uh, and because it's a contrast ct it also tells you where they're bleeding from
0: and if you can see where the active arterial bleeding is then you know which tap to turn off you know to which, which tap to, and you you know whether you're going to
1: ir whether you're going to the operating room whether you're going to the ward whether you're going to uh, the intensive uh, intensive care unit it it, it it uh it helps you stratify the patient
0: massively Fantastic. Now listen, we should probably talk about binders. Okay. Every time we do these tutorials, every time at summer school we, we talk with the trauma science students who are non-orthopods. Yep. The only thing
1: they all want to talk about is binders. Absolutely. Every time I give a talk on pelvis, at first the first two questions are always about binders. And, and it's just because I, I think binders, it's one of those uh, aspects where different centres have different... Uh, different types of care like, like they, they manage them differently with respect to the binder yeah that gets put on pre-hospital or but yeah. gets put on early but then when do you take them off and yeah. do you take them right off do you loosen them off yeah. what you know what what, what is, and so, how even, yeah and even crank putting them on how much do you crank them exactly well and yeah i mean most binders now have a little have a little clicker on them so they yeah. have it like like a torque like a torque meter so you pull on the strap and then it goes click that's it and that's it that's yeah. your tension so they're now correctly tensioned
0: I don't think I'm that old, but I, I've literally put sheets around the pelvis as an SHO. Yes. In my training.
1: Yeah. And tied a sheet. Sure, but that and was probably just as effective as a modern binder. Yeah. That that's not that's not a bad thing to have done. The only thing about sheets is they're massive. Yeah. And so they end up quite bulky and they get in the way. Yeah. And if you want to put in a groin line or or you need access to their to their groins or perineum yeah. when you want to do a PR or whatever it is. They often get in the way. So a binder is quite
0: an so elegant solution. You can't so you really can, tension them. You can't tension them so, predictably. No. So let's use binders. Yeah, sure. So the do we have any proof that binders actually work? No, no. no no
1: Brilliant. one's no one's got, It's like it's like your 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 randomised controlled trial of, of parachutes versus non. Everyone assumes now it is an assumptive thing that binders are
0: effective, and therefore no one's going to do an RCT uh, comparing. So, so you are the king of binders. Tell me, what are the downsides of binders? Uh, there, there are downsides. Yeah. Uh, number one, they are th- th- they're they pulled
1: tight across across the pelvis, and so the skin underneath is the, the clock is ticking on that skin, uh, particularly if it's pulled to to therapeutic tension. So. Uh, You can't leave them on forever. So what is the time on that clock? 24 hours, according to our UK BOST guidelines. Some people leave them on a bit longer, but they tend to loosen them off. Um, I've never really been been particularly into that practice. I, I'm, I'm a they're they're either on at full tension or they're not on at all, yeah. and there's no kind of middle ground. But some, if you've got like for example an open book fracture, and uh, the patient comes in hemodynamically unstable, so you put it under therapeutic tension, so it's properly tight.
0: Although you don't know they've got an open book fracture at this point
1: no but but let's let's say they've got an open book fracture uh, it it turns out yes and 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 the binder is on and then and then the patient stabilizes so now they're, they're no longer hemodynamically unstable but they've still got an open book fracture and you're not going to be able to operate on them until Ne- uh, tomorrow or the day after so what you might do then is just loosen off the binder a bit and that binder is now not necrosing the skin underneath but it it's is giving you a it. little bit of support from the pelvis i think that is totally legitimate
0: and could you just explain to people wh- why i said that we won't know if they've got open but a fracture with the binder on so right. that people don't think i'm stupid yeah
1: <laughs> <laughs> they do anyway so don't worry about it so uh not so number one they uh the skin is on, is, is on, is on a timer. Number two, um, is. They can cover up more severe pelvic injuries. They can reduce the the, the the fracture. So if you've got an open book fracture, they can reduce it almost anatomically. So you'll get your CT, and it, it really doesn't look bad at all. Because they've
0: not because they've sprung out, the, they've sp- flipped open at the front. They've sprung open. Yeah, but you don't see it because it's put back in place. It's,
1: and because they hug the pelvis all the way around, not just at the front like mm. an X fix, but all the way round, they push this sacroiliac joints back together as well. Mm. So they give you a near anatomic reduction. You think, oh, well, this doesn't look very severe but actually when you take the binder off blue the whole thing opens up again so there is definitely a um they down classify uh a lot of fractures so uh and and you often have uh what appear to be lateral compression type ones and they're actually lc3s um and they often get um ap compression fractures that look very banal but actually once you take the binder off they are um they're much more severe.
0: Which is why you're always asked, wanting an x-ray out of binder yeah. for certain cases.
1: Exactly. And that's so we, we get x-rays out of binder uh, for all high energy injuries with any suspicion of a pelvic fracture.
0: Yeah. So you've told me the bad things about binder so far. You've given me two.
1: Okay. Uh, there's one more, which is that they cover stuff up. Yeah, they cover it. So if you've got groin lacerations, you've got bleeding from a from a femoral vein. You've got a a perineal injury uh, between your legs. You've got a, 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 a rectal injury. Uh, because we're out of sight, out of mind creatures, we don't. if we don't see something, we don't really believe it's there. It don't or, exist. Or it doesn't really exist, or, or it's a minor thing. It's, it's, oh, don't worry about that. It's not right in front of my eyes, therefore yeah. I don't care about it. And so uh, people tend to fuss about other things instead, because the binder's on. So we do, at some stage, have to address what's underneath the binder as part of our secondary yeah. survey.
0: But the point you made that in the CT, they give you a really good circumferential near anatomical reduction
1: yeah. is a good thing. It's totally a good thing. And in many people's practices, I would say the majority of, uh, pelvic and established surgeons practices. Binders have completely replaced external fixators because I was I would argue they're actually superior to a, to a, uh, an X fix in terms of controlling and wrapping up the, the the pelvis and by giving that circumferential kind of like squeeze they bring on a tamponade a pressure effect that you don't get with an X fix
0: because the concern with an X fix has always been that yes you you've closed up the front but you potentially opened up the back. That's right. Yeah, we think a lot of the bleeding comes from the back.
1: Exactly. Yeah, you're trying to squeeze the 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 sacrum together as much as the front. And if you an X fix because it goes in anteriorly on the on the iliac crest, when you pull the front together, it does tend to gap out at the back. Hmm. And if your sacral fracture at the back is being gapped out, then that is. You know, a a, a real source of bleeding, bleeding from a bony surface, whereas a binder helps squeeze that bony surface back together again.
0: And and, and we agreed here that C-clamps have no place.
1: I, I don't know, they do in some people's practice. Do they? So, so yeah, yeah. There's some some. You so tell me about C-clamps. C clamps. See, a C clamp is an X fix, but instead of going into the anterior iliac crest, it goes posteriorly, uh, very close to to where you would put your iliac, your sacral, islet sacral screws at the back of the pelvis. It's a dangerous place to be. It is a bit hairy, so it's not something you want anyone doing. It's it's a it's potentially risky. You can injure the sciatic nerve. You can injure this into the superior gluteal vessels. Hmm. There's a lot there that you can that it's very easy to malposition a c-clamp so technically difficult to put on and so uh, they don't tend to be put on by anything but pelvic experts but when they do go on uh, in certain scenarios they are effective are they
0: being used in the uk by anyone you know Uh,
1: not that i know of no. no i think everyone is almost universally using binders and
0: that folks is the end of part one Join us next week for part two where we conclude the topic.